0: Let's get going. I did not forget about communion. We'll do that at the end of service today. So with last week being a little interesting and unique, I want to I kind of pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And uh, part of what we're doing here as we've been going through this series of the alternate reality is getting a, a refocus on the things that matter. Because you realize no matter how hard you work or what you do, everything that you acquire on this earth will cease to exist at some point. The only thing that we have is the people around us. Those things are eternal, good and bad. Because for some people, eternal life sounds awful, right? Because of location, I mean, ultimately. You know, and, and that's the thing, is when we talk about is, is like all the effort we put into the things of this world. I mean, we're sitting back here talking Husker football a little bit ago, because why wouldn't you? It's January. Makes sense. We got to get ready for the season. It's going to be here before we know it. And it's like as much frustration and joy that that team has brought those of us who love Jesus for many years I'm not saying that if you don't love them that you don't love Jesus you're just wrong but anyway is that with that it's it's one of these things where it's like no matter what it is at the end of the day it is a temporary thing it is just something that yes it brings us joy and that's nothing wrong with that but at the end of the day it doesn't matter You see, we chase after the things of this world. When the Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Those things are the carnal things. The things of this world. What things will he add? All of those things. But what do we chase after? Our entire lives are predicated on on just promotion. Move up. In this world, we're told to go to college to get a good education so that you can get a good job, so that you can be stinking rich. Hoarding money does no good if it burns up. And eventually it's going to and so we are all have these carnal natures of which we are chasing the next great thing and yet what is he talking about our reality is in this world those things that god provides for us become nothing but tools for the promotion of the kingdom of god tools in our hands do you realize that a hammer in the hand of a carpenter is a wonderful thing a hammer in the hand of paul pelosi's intruder not so good right same tool A dollar bill in the hand of a blood-bought believer, a good thing. In the hand of a drug dealer, not so much. It's the same tool. Those things are amoral, but yet we chase after them because we're not focused on what's real. We're focused on what's right now. And so with that, we begin to break this down and look at this from how should we be focused? Should we be kingdom focused? Should we be spiritually focused? Or should we be carnally minded? As I've said before, when we think of the term carnally minded, we always think moral issues. And while that's a part to play, it's really not the ultimate crux of it. It is more so of thinking of the things contrary to Scripture. If you believe contrary to Scripture, then your carnal mind is leading the way. And so we will dig into that a little bit more today with where we're going, because we're talking about the idea of salvation. And I want to start with the showing of these covenants. I know we've been talking about this for a little bit, but this is important, and you're going to see why today. Of all of these covenants, every one of them are permanent in their structure, with the exception of one. And that is the Mosaic Covenant. So you and I, our our entire lives are taught about the New Covenant, and then we were taught about the Law. And the law is bad, and it doesn't exist, and we don't worry about it, and all of that. That has done us a disservice. Because everything that was written in the New Testament was written by people who had lived their lives underneath that covenant. That covenant mattered to them. It didn't cease to matter after Jesus came. It mattered to Jesus. Do you realize that? Do you realize that He kept that covenant? He fulfilled that covenant? And we don't understand what that means. So if we're going to talk about this new covenant that we have, that we are in, we have to understand the basics of it and the foundation upon which it was built. So as I showed you guys these temple pictures, this matters because this was all about that Mosaic covenant. Go ahead. This is the high priest, and he would go through this one time a year, that veil. And that mattered. That was his role. He was the mediator between God and the nation of Israel. He would represent Israel to God. He would represent God to the nation. Did they always do a good job? No. Oftentimes not. Go into the next one. We see here where that veil was torn. At the moment that Jesus said that it is finished, the earthquake and all of that stuff, that veil was split. Meaning what? That priesthood no longer has a role. The primary role of the high priest was to make the atonement on the day of atonement. Now it's open to everybody. It's interesting. Let's go on. We've looked here at the different altars. you got the brazen labor. You know something, you see that altar? I didn't bring my, my clicker. You see that, uh, that altar over there? You know what just dawned on me the other day? And this is probably why this means so much to me. Is that God, is in His infinite wisdom, ordained a barbecue pit as the crux of the Jewish system. How beautiful is that? It's beautiful beautiful anyway and they partook of it anyway let's go on we see the Shekinah glory that was in the holy of holies the presence of God you guys realize the Shekinah glory still exists you guys realize the Shekinah glory is still tangible you guys realize the Shekinah glory can be visible you guys realize the Shekinah glory is in here today what if you don't feel it guess what that's okay it's not a matter of what you feel it's a matter of what you know is true kind of glory now is in the temple made without hands go to the last one right there sitting on his throne on the mercy seat it's interesting they called it that because we hear all the time that the old testament was about rules and regulation and judgment and the new testament is about mercy grace and love truth is they were all about mercy grace and love you still see judgment coming this here is where the presence of god resided and now where does he reside he still resides in the temple temple not made with hands you and i are the temple of the holy spirit that's your kind of glory goes with us every day whether you feel it or not do you realize that there are days that you are in the presence of the lord that you don't feel it you realize that there are days that you're in the presence of the lord where you feel it where you sense it where you're aware of his presence doesn't matter what you feel matters what you know as we get into these covenants we go back to jeremiah chapter 31 of the the precept upon this new covenant it says in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. We talked about that and why that matters and how that applies to you and I. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Which covenant is that? It's the Mosaic covenant. So whatever this new covenant is, it is the antithesis of that one. Fair enough? It's not like that one. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband of them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor. For every man and his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Do you realize that? There is a confirmation of this in Romans 1. Where it says that although they knew God, they worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Inside of every one of us, there's a, this yearning after the Creator, and yet we try to make God fit an image that we want. Every nation, every tribe, every, every group of people does the same thing, and there's only one way to know God, and that is through His Word, where He reveals Himself to you and I. So this is the new covenant. It's going to be different than the Mosaic covenant. This is the one that is permanent, everlasting, that has brought you and I into the fold, And then we saw in Ezekiel chapter 36 that we see the Spirit going to be within us. This was a new concept. And then we see in 37 where the dry bones come to life. And we see where he says, prophesy to the bones the breath of life. And he breathed in them and life entered them. And we see the same thing in John chapter 20 where Jesus breathed into his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. We see the fulfillment of all these things. And the reason this matters is because you and I being in this new covenant is something that we have oftentimes taken for granted. Not really knowing what it meant or understanding what it was or what it is because we just hear terms and we just assume we know what they mean and we just assume we know how we got to this conclusion. But they, being the Jewish people, when Messiah arrived, were expecting this ruling king riding in on a white horse. Ready to knock down them Romans and every other person that came against them. To now allow them to worship God in the way that he had set up. And not be under the thumb of any nation ever again. And then Jesus showed up. Born of a carpenter. From Nazareth. They didn't like Nazareth. A humble man. And then they killed him. They weren't prepared for any of that. They weren't prepared for the outcome. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up my flesh. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now look, this is Paul talking to What did he say? According to the stewardship from God. What does that mean? That means God has given us something that he is a steward of. It's not his it's God's, but I am in control of it. I am responsible for it. And then he explains what it is. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. They weren't prepared for that. It was a mystery. Paul had a job to do. Do you realize Paul had a choice? He could have said No. He could have said no. I don't know why you would, but he could have. Look at his life as a result of saying yes. Do you think Paul wanted to get beaten? You ever think he turned around to those guys like, okay, that was nice, but why don't you really put something into it this time? You think he walked in and said, hey, today, I'd love to be stoned. Like, not the Colorado way, but, but like the death way. You think he's like, hey, let's get shipwrecked. Let's be hungry. He goes on and on and on. Why did he continue to do this? Because he signed up to be a steward of God's message. At any cost. At any cost. It didn't matter what it was going to cost him. He was willing to do it. Every one of the disciples the exact same way. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to do this. You see, when you've had an encounter with God, and you've got that relationship with Jesus, and you realize that you are a beacon of the Holy Spirit that you take Him everywhere, it doesn't matter what you have to give up for Him. You will do it, no matter what. You see, they were not prepared for any of this. They were happy to go about their life, to do what they had been doing, to continue on. We see that with the guys on the road to Emmaus. What were they doing? They were heading home. Look at this. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, "What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad?" They were you see understand what were they just leaving? Passover, a joyous occasion. A celebration of God bringing their people out of bondage, supernaturally, through the Red Sea, destroying the armies of Pharaoh, taking care of them in the wilderness and bringing them in the land that they promised. This is a joyous celebration. This is not a sorrowful one. And Jesus asked them, well, what are you all talking about? Why are you all so sad? Just so you know, he knew the answer. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have, not, have you not known the things which have happened these days? And he said, what things? And he said, concerning these things of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, he was mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, oh foolish one, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You realize the correction he's bringing? He's like, didn't the prophets say this? Did you not believe this? Do you think they were making it up? Yeah, psych." And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He opened up the scriptures to all those things. Then they drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it. He gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us? on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us their heart burned see they were waiting on Messiah to establish the kingdom and even though that the rulers took him and killed him he did say he was going to come back and he did a lot of really spectacular things things that we had never seen before things that no other man seemed to be able to do and so when he said three days we kind of sort of believed it and we kind of thought it might happen but this third day yeah the body's gone but nobody's seen him so we kind of just went home and uh They were just hanging out, and I guess it didn't work out. It's a bummer. Maybe the next guy will get it done. They were waiting on him to redeem Israel, not to set them free spiritually. You see, what we look at this here is we've got to ask these questions. This new covenant brings in this idea of salvation, brings in the idea of being born again. These are all new terms in the way that we use them. Salvation was not a new thing. It was something that was talked about in the Old Testament. But we never stop and ask the questions like, how am I saved? Why am I saved? What am I saved from? And what does it mean to be born again? You see, we don't ask those questions. We just hear the words preached, and we just kind of just take it like, Oh, yeah, i got to be born again. Great. Do you realize that there's never been somebody born again physically? Because you can only do that once. And we talk about being saved, but we don't know what we're saved from. I mean, when Lassie saved Timmy from the well... He saved him from the well. I'm going to have to find a newer reference. Half this room doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I'll come up with something. Some X-Men related thing. I don't know. But what are we saved from? Ultimate. Well, the simple answer is this. We're saved from death. And so let's go in the beginning and look at this. Where death comes in. Why death matters. How it comes into play. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. It says, "O oh, the Lord God commanded the man saying, "Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should not eat, or in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die." Now I don't want to spend a ton of time here, because as you know, did they die? No. So we got a problem. Because when we read that, we're like, well, he said they would die, but then they didn't die. For like 900 years, beat the odds. So what does that mean? Well in the original language it says dying you shall die. That's how it's read. And so spiritually now that death has what separated them from God. And so that spirit being dead did what? Remove the life from the mortal body. That body began the decaying process in that moment. That means that they were not born to die. They were born To thrive, to live eternally with God in the garden. Expand the garden. It was God's place. His family was going to be there. All the created beings, from the least to the greatest, were right there. And in that moment, when they partook, they spiritually died, which started the clock for physical death that spirit that quickens and makes alive our mortal body. You see when we talk about born again that's what we talk about. You have to understand something here is that it was then you think about this from a sickness standpoint Okay, if you get a cold do you worry about it? Are you concerned? No. Why? Your body has an ability to naturally fight that off. There are things you can do to speed it up perhaps but overall for the most part if you are a normal healthy human being your body was designed to fight off that cold. But do you realize that sickness brings death? Sickness is just slow death. You can get hit by a train. That's fast death. But if you have no immune system, if God had not designed your body with the ability to fight that, a simple common cold could kill you. It's just slow death. You see, death entering the world as a result of sin. In Romans chapter 5 verse 12 it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. What man is that? That's Adam. So through Adam, sin entered the world. And death through sin. How did death come into the world? Through sin. That means death did not exist prior to that. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So he's a picture of Christ. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, now what does therefore mean? Because of all the stuff I just said, as through one man's offense... Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now here's the thing. I hear this all the time. That, that doesn't seem fair though. Because what Adam did, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to be in a world where sin separates me from God, and I'm, I'm facing eternal damnation if I don't accept Him. And that would be true. That would be a problem, except God made a way out. And this life is just a temporal space and time. Everything about it is temporary. It doesn't matter how famous you are, it's temporary. It doesn't matter how rich you are, it's temporary. But eternity is at stake. And God made a way in the same way God had to put the tree in the garden to give man the opportunity to choose to worship God or to choose to reject Him. He has done the same thing today. He has given you a way out of death to choose to worship Him or choose to reject Him. He will never force anybody into His heaven against their will. So through one man, (coughs) excuse me, sin entered the world. And through one man, justification has come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Let me ask you something. Christ said he was going to be resurrected from the dead. Correct? With me? Yep. And so if Christ is resurrected from the dead, is he dead? No, death was temporary, right? What did he just say? For since by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Alive how? Through him. So is death temporary? Yes. <coughs> we have a recreation of a new heavens and new earth. And the life that we live will be exactly like the life that they had. It'll be different. See, you and I do not experience a separation from the presence of God like the Jews did, where only one man was able as a representative to go in there. You and I now are free in the presence of God, but there is still a veil, if you will, between the physical world and the spiritual world. You and I need to focus on the spiritual world. All we always try to do is fulfill those things that we want. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, we, when you get your wages, what is that? It's a paycheck. You work 20 hours, what do you get paid? What's due to you? Whatever you agreed to. 20 hours worth of pay. So sin, the wage of sin is what? Death. The gift means you don't buy it, you don't earn it. It's eternal life. Life is eternal. This life is temporary. man do we focus all of our attention to all the things all we do is driven to success driven to notoriety, driven towards what we call the, the ultimate life and, and, and the American dream and all this other stuff when you got parts of the world whose life is on the line for simply being a believer and they are hand to mouth each and every day and sometimes they don't have enough to eat but we're concerned with us here we don't think eternally now sin brought death but what does death bring? it ultimately brings a separation between you and I with God. When we look at that in the garden, when God was in the garden with them, were they separated from God? No, they were, fact, they were clothed in His glory. And so there was a, a, a well-known uh, relationship there between Adam, Eve, and all of creation with God. But the moment that, that God brought forth the judgment, they were separated, they were thrown out of the garden. Doesn't mean God didn't care. God promised a way out of all of this. But there was a separation from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. What keeps us from God? It's our sin. It's what separates. Let's look at this picture again, this veil. Do I have that up there? Maybe. But I don't. Can you put it up there? I may not have put it back in. But back at the beginning. That veil. What was the role of that veil? It separated you from the presence of God. You see, it wasn't just the mercy seat. Think about that. They would move the Ark of the Covenant. There was rules on how they had to do it. You don't touch it. But they could be around the Ark. The Ark wasn't the presence of God. The Ark with the mercy seat was the throne of God. And when it was in the holy of holies, with that veil that separated man from his presence, would reside there. So the purpose was to keep man separated from God. Not anybody could just walk in there. One man could intercede, but he had to jump through a bunch of hoops. Look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse. Start verse twenty-three. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these but the heavenly things himself with better sacrifices than these. For Christ was not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to had suffered often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to be put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many To those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So that veil separated Christ goes in there now what separates man from God? The answer is Christ's flesh. It is the veil. How do we enter in? Through His flesh. You see, it's the same thing. It was all types and shadows and pictures, and it was all things that were coming. But His flesh is what we go through now. It was through His dying. We receive Him. Okay, that's great. So we know that we're set free from death, but what am I saved from? Is it just simply death? Because, you know, if death is all there is and then it's over, that's not a big deal. Because you won't know any difference. It's kind of like when you're talking about planning, you know, like your funeral and all that stuff. Ultimately, do you realize that you will not care how it ultimately turns out? How many people show up? What color the coffin is? Did they send enough flowers? Was the food good? You're not going to care. You know what? You're dead. You don't care. I told my wife, whatever's cheapest, that's what you do. If she does anything else, I'll haunt her forever. I may do that anyway. I also told her, just so you know, because we were talking about cremation this morning and asking, is that wrong? And just so you know, it's not wrong. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about that. But I did tell her, it's like, listen, when I, if I go first, have me cremated and throw my ashes in your new husband's face. That's all I ask. Okay? All I ask. But what am I saved from? Well, look at Romans 1. I referenced it earlier, but look what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. What are we saved from? The wrath for sin. The judgment for sin. Christ became a substitution for all who will believe. Not all, all who will believe. Do you realize that some people choose not to believe? Some people choose to reject. Some people don't like these verses because that's not very loving. Do you guys realize that in Acts chapter 5 we see an immediate judgment when Ananias and Sapphira sold their land, their land, and took their money, their money, and then chose to lie to the Holy Spirit that they gave it all? It was their money. You know what they could have said? I'll give you 10%. I'm not going to give it all. They'd have been just fine. We see immediate judgment as God strikes them dead. Judgment's real, and it's coming. But how do we avoid that? Through what we call salvation. Because that wrath has been justified. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man? you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek More, the, uh, for there is no partiality with God That sounds pretty heavy Is there a wrath of God that is going to be poured out? Yes uh, Guess what? All unrighteousness Who determines what is righteous and what is unrighteous? God does we don't get a vote. He didn't ask our opinion. When we hear these words judgment, oftentimes we don't even know what they mean because of our culture today, but we make judgments every day. God's judgment is always righteous. Our judgment should also be righteous and not bound in hypocrisy. It's not in us versus them. We should be so bound up inside, seeing these lost people blinded by the enemy, where we sow the word and the enemy comes and takes that from their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. We should be so bound up with it that it consumes our heart, our lives. And we're just drawn to prayer. God, open doors. Please give me opportunity that we're willing to walk through. But ultimately, when we talk about this, and we're talking about this salvation, we're really talking about one thing. It's a a divide between two covenants. The Mosaic Covenant versus the New Covenant. This is what it comes down to. Because this is what the New Covenant is predicated on. How do we know that? Because he said that we are in a better covenant based on better promises. He says it's not like the covenant when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. So he clearly defines what this New Covenant is in antithesis to. It is not like that one. And so, if that is true, then as we read it, we've got to keep that in the forethought of our mind. Saying, okay, everything that they are comparing the new covenant to is against the Mosaic covenant. And there is something that we have to address here because it is misunderstood. How is one saved? Belief in Him. Very simple. We'll we'll address that more in a minute. But we've got this concept of grace versus works. The New Testament is riddled with passages that talks about God's grace versus man's works. And we have taken that to mean we can't do anything to earn our salvation. That is true. So it doesn't matter how much money you give. Does that make you right with God? Nope. Doesn't matter if you volunteer at a homeless shelter. Does that make you right with God? Nope. Doesn't matter if you make it to church every Sunday doesn't matter if you go down and build orphanages in tahiti i don't know if they need any but just throwing it out there it doesn't make any difference whether you're baptized whether you take communion that is that is a work and it doesn't make you right with god and those are all true statements the problem is that is not what the new testament is talking about that's what we have turned it into when it talks about grace versus works the works that it is relating to are the works of the Mosaic Covenant. The keeping of the 613 laws and commandments. It is about being make, making sure that you are physically cleansed. That you are not partaking of, of things that they tell you not to. You can't touch a dead body. All of these different things. Those are the works. Those were the works of a righteousness. What happened... When an Israelite kept those things, did all of those works, they were blessed. What happens when they didn't? They were cursed. It was pretty simple. Does that sound like a works-based system to you? Absolutely, because it was predicated upon what they did. Now let's look at this a little bit. Romans chapter 11. If you know and you've read through this, you should understand this. Romans chapter 9 verse chapter 10 and verse, chapter 11 are talking about uh, Israel's past in chapter 9, Israel's present in chapter 10, and Israel's future in chapter 11. And there is some debate about that, but they're just wrong, just so you know. I don't say that oftentimes. They're dead wrong here. This is very plain, very plain. But in Romans chapter 11 verse 1, it says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Who's his people? The nation of Israel? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. So now he tells us who it is, right? Is this confusing? Tell that to the theologians out there. The seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. These are all good things. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. And torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. I know. Paul needs to take an English lesson. I get it. But what is he talking about? Has God rejected his people? No. And he uses the example of Elijah. What did Elijah say? What did he want? Wipe them out. Let's start over. They've all bowed their knee. What were they supposed not to do underneath that covenant? You do not bow your knee to any other God. You shall have no gods before me. Sound familiar? Some of you guys grew up with a placard on your wall that had that listed on there. Maybe you went to a school that had it, heaven forbid. What did God say? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Meaning what? They kept the covenant. You guys see that? So even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Those who have set themselves apart have not bowed their knee to another God. I have kept them. There is a remnant in Israel. If by grace, then it is no longer of works. What works? The keeping of that covenant. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, in other words, they could earn it through keeping that covenant, then it is no longer grace. Does that sound like the new covenant? No, but do you now see how it is the new covenant versus the Mosaic covenant? I want to make sure you get that. Because when it talks about works, these are Israelite men writing this. That is what it's talking about every single time. It is a reference to those obedience, keeping obedience to that covenant. Look at Acts chapter 15. Because now we see this come into play. As you know, this is called the Acts of the Apostles. And we're watching them even kind of learn some stuff. We read about in Acts chapter 10, where that vision that Peter had, And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I have never eaten anything unclean. And God said, what I have called clean, don't call unclean. And a reference to the Gentile people. And the Holy Spirit tells him to go. And as he's standing there, not knowing why he's there, and they just said, tell us the ways of God. He begins to preach, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, just as it had them. And he's shocked. And the men who were with him were shocked. Why were they shocked? They weren't ready for that. They thought it was just for them. This is for all men. But in Acts chapter 15, we see this debate about these people that are getting saved, these Gentiles that are getting saved. Verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, who are the brethren? It's a reference to those who are believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is a statement made by them. Okay? Why did they say that? Well, if you were going to be obedient to the Mosaic Covenant, what did you have to do? You had to be circumcised, and that made you in right standing with God, temporarily. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, now, just so you know, that sounds flowery. That means they had a pretty heated argument. As you know, if you have two Jewish men in the room, you have three different opinions, and they will fight to the death to make sure they are right. So Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, dissension dispute with them, and they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they're sending them up there. Let's talk this through. So being sent on their way by their church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So who's causing a problem here? It's the Pharisees. Right? Seen that before, haven't we? They're causing a problem. No, they have to do this. They have to keep the commandments of Moses. If they're going to be saved, there's no other way. But who also was a Pharisee? Paul. He's arguing with them. You see, this was new information they were not prepared for. They didn't recognize this. They had good intentions. If I told you, okay, that if you're going to be right with God, you can only wear left shoes. Would you wear left shoes? Okay, you wouldn't. But, but I mean, if it was true, if you really believed that, would you wear left shoes all the time, even if it hurt your feet? Yes, you would. Because if you believe, like, I have to wear these. I want to be right with God. I have to wear these. I know that's a stupid illustration, y'all. But, but think about it. That's essentially what they're getting at. This is the way it had always been. When a Gentile wanted to come into the fold and be in covenant relationship with God under the Mosaic covenant, what do they have to do? First thing, break out the scissors. It's time. It's the first thing they had to do. These are the works. So, verse 6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. I want to say one more thing. The Pharisees who believed. Do you notice that? The Pharisees who believed. Meaning what? They are followers of Christ. Okay? This isn't like the Pharisees before. These ones have been converted, if you will. Verse 6. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren... You know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he referencing? Acts chapter 10. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, what does faith mean? Trust. Believe all it means. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Isn't that interesting how he phrased that? First of all, why would you put this on them when we couldn't? And our forefathers couldn't keep it. In fact, nobody could keep it. And yet, here we've got what Jesus did. And we believe that through the grace of Jesus, that free gift, we, referring to those believers in that room, will be saved in the same manner as who? The Gentiles. You notice he didn't say it the other way around. That's interesting to me, how he phrased that. So they are saved, not by the keeping of the commandments, what is called works in the New Testament, but through the grace that came from God. There is a major distinction between the dispensation of the law and the dispensation of grace. There is nothing a man could do in keeping those commandments that ultimately justified them in the eyes of God. That is why sacrifice had to be made every year for that nation. Until when the high priest after the order of Melchizedek stepped in spotless blameless clean in every way he was examined and found no fault in him laid out his life as that lamb rose again and then he cleaned the not made with hands altar see it never has to be done again they were always conscious of sin because they always had to sacrifice but Christ has sacrificed and he has sat down Romans chapter 3 verse 20 it says therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin so what part of the law can you keep that justifies you the answer is none of it doesn't mean you openly break it you just it can't make you right with God look what Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 21 it says, then Jesus said to them again I am a going away and you will seek me ...and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. When he says, I am he, what does he mean? Messiah. The Christ. The anointed one. If you do not believe... See, you're going to die in your sins because you are of this world. I'm not of this world. And if you do not believe that I am the one who is sent, sinned, you will die in your sins. And did that happen? Absolutely. You see, we've got this idea of the saved by grace concept. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from death because we'll have eternal life with Jesus. And I'm going to make a statement right now that might blow your mind. Do you realize that you are not saved to go to heaven? Do you realize that heaven's going to be destroyed? What are we talking about? You died today. You walked out of here and you were hit by a bus. You know where you go? Heaven or hell? Do you realize that that's not your eternal destiny? Think about that. See, we're saved from the wrath. But what are we saved to? Eternal life with Jesus. So in Ephesians chapter 2, this is a passage you guys will know very well. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Well, why were we dead? Because we were in trespasses and sins. Sin brought death. But who made us alive? Jesus. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Just like the guys we read about before. See, if you don't believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we're by nature children of wrath just as the others. So who's in control then? Who is this prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience? We're talking about the enemy who's working. And all of us conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. When we hear that word, what do we think? We think naughty things. But what is truly the lust of our flesh? Seeking those things which are beneath and not those things which are above. The consummation of life being made up in our flesh and what we want. The, the unrenewed mind. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. What do we think of? We think of those bad things. But what if, what if we were so consumed with promotion or notoriety? Or, you know, man, if I could just get a million followers on Instagram, I, I would have arrived. Please don't ever say that. Think about that. We are driven towards things. We don't seek first the kingdom. We build first our kingdom and we'll work God into it as we have time. We'll chase a better opportunity every single time without stopping to think of how can I serve God better in this capacity? Is this really the best thing for me every single time? I mean, guys, you've got to understand even from a ministry standpoint, like I get calls from people, hey, you know, there's this is church open or there's this is ministry opportunity and it's like, Unless God calls me out of here, I'm not going anywhere. You're stuck with me. So you got a problem with it, take it up with God. Okay? But the thing is, is like I could be just like those. I before I came here, we had interviewed with this church that was about a thousand members. And the moment we sat down and met with them, we're like, This is not the right place. I don't know if you know this, but you make pretty good living working in a church of a thousand people. But it wasn't the right place. It wasn't where God called us. It's not chasing the things of our desire. Our desire have to become God's desires. You know, if I had had my way when I was a teenager, I had every intention of going on the road playing the drums. That's all I wanted in life. Oh, man. I was a pretty good drummer. Nobody here can prove that, so just take my word for it. And I was... Yeah, I guess one of you can. That's true. I forgot about that. Tyler in the back used to hear me play. I did all right, didn't I, Tyler? Yeah, okay. He wouldn't say no. He's too kind. But but the thing is, is like, that was what I wanted. When I went to Raymond, the first thing I did, what do you think I did? I auditioned. And the guy's like, man, you've got really good timing. I'm like, yeah, I know. Where do you want me to start? He's like, well, we have any open positions. Get rid of the guy that's in there. I'm better than he is. I might have had a little ego. Just slightly." And then I went in there and I auditioned with this other part of the school and uh, they had had eight drummers in their auditioning and they had gone through a full set with each drummer and I was the last one, which gives you a little bit of advantage. advantage. They got up in that opening song and they had this intro and I hit this lick on the drums and it was sweet, y'all. It was sweet. And the guitar player, the bass player, the lead singer all just looked at me like this like, yeah, that's right. I've arrived. I'm here. All I wanted so badly was to just play the drums and play music it was this desire of my heart it consumed my life I even had a drum set in our little two-bedroom apartment Um, I put heads on there that you couldn't hear me play you could hear me play even when we moved away from there I had the drum set up on the back porch and I was out there playing on a Saturday morning real early because Amy was working and I was back there and I'm just going to town and then I hear this knock on the back door seven o'clock in the morning and I'm like oh man I just woke somebody's kid up no, it was a pastor from one of the churches. Like, can we hire you to come play at our church? I'm like, uh, no, you can't. I was in my boxer shorts, by the way, too. So that's the best way to rehearse. But the thing is, is like, that was the desire of my heart. Because what was I chasing? My glory. My entire life, I had people tell me like, man, you're good. You're really good. You could really do something with this. So I tried. And somewhere in there, God changed my heart. Thank God he did. Thank God He did. You see, we are not saved for ourselves, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. It doesn't have to be immoral things. It's about His kingdom. There are things... Do you guys realize that giving money makes no sense to the flesh? None whatsoever. To give money. I made a a decision in my mind many, many years ago. That wherever I'm at, whatever church, even churches that I'm preaching at, there will never be an offering go by that I don't put something in. Even if it's a buck, that's all I got, a quarter, whatever. I'm going to put something in. I just made this decision years and years ago, and I've stood by that every single time. And you know what? From a natural mindset, that doesn't make a lick of sense. But from a kingdom mindset, it does. Because God honors stewardship. You guys see what I'm saying? It's not lust like, oh my goodness, they're into porn. That's bad too. It's all these other things. You see, he made us alive who were dead in these trespasses, and the enemy has taken the world and said, Live the American dream. Chase that promotion. Go get you, go get yours. Go get rich. Why do you think the powerball so big? Look at verse five. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together. Raised us up, meaning what? From the dead. Raised us up with Christ. Made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Where are we seated? With Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now I'm going to stop. Grace is the gift and we are saved, set apart, made new through our belief in Him. Not the things that we can do. How do we know? Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What works? What were the Pharisees boasting of at Jesus' day? When you fast, don't be like them. When you give, don't be like them. They're getting their glory right now. It was those works they were keeping. Not the works that we think of the communion, the, the go-to-church stuff, all that. Those are all important, but that's not what he's talking about. He is taking an antithesis approach to the Mosaic Covenant. It is not of works, lest you could boast. If you can earn your way to salvation, could you brag about it? Of course. If it was handed to you, could you brag about it? No. When I was back in the insurance business, we had this agent, and they toted him up to be this great like agent. He was, he was writing all these policies and all these accounts. They even did a video on him and all this stuff. You know what we found out? He was, the, he was related to the district manager. And every time an agent would leave, they would hand him all his policies. He didn't build nothing. It was given to him. So in his humbleness, he should have said what? He's like, listen, I didn't write all of these. I am good at what I do, but I didn't write this. This was given to me. It was a free gift. No, you know what he did? Let me tell you the 10 steps that I took to be successful. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How are we created in Christ Jesus? For good works. Why are we saved? For good works. The things that we can do. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, and to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one and be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were all once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Stop right there. Serving various lusts and pleasures. What do we think of? Really, really bad stuff and really, really good stuff. And you notice he put them both in the same vein of thought. More money is a good thing. But it cannot consume your life. It cannot make your decisions for you. It cannot make you chase it. You know I have seen more people justify God called me because of promotion. And then when they get there, nothing good comes of it. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. What works of righteousness? It's that covenant. Who's the we? It's the Jewish men. What are you talking about? But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through jesus christ our savior who is the us this is still the jewish men. that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life this is a faithful saying and these things i want to affirm constantly that those who believed in god should be careful to maintain good works these things are good and profitable to men you do them as a result of the change and you know what They don't become hard. See, the keeping of the commandments was difficult because their flesh was fighting against them. And it wasn't easy things to do. But as I told you, and I'm not telling you anything that I do as as a way of bragging. I'm just telling you what I do. You know, it's not always easy to drop something in an offering every single time. There are times where you can't afford to do it. There's been times when Amy and I have been strapped and the idea of tithing was a stretch. But I wanted to be obedient and so we just did it. We had to make a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust me and me screws things up God's got a pretty good track record and so we just did it and so that doesn't make sense and it doesn't always feel right or feel good I'm just being obedient look at James chapter 2 see the thing is, is that we're thinking that we are saved by our works no we are saved to good works we are saved by His grace and the works that talking about is the works of the Mosaic covenant it's the antithesis our covenant <coughs> excuse me Excuse me. Is the exact opposite of their covenant. Everything that they did was to try to put them in right standing with God. Even the sacrifices. By making the sacrifice, it gave a simple and a temporary appeasement of the of the just or the judgment of God. In James chapter two, look at this. And you have to read this very carefully, because the Mormons love this one. They say this is what proves to them that we have a works-based salvation. What is a profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? Now, what is he saying here? If he has faith, he tells you that. If someone says he has faith, but his works are not there. In other words, if an apple tree claims it's an apple tree, but it doesn't produce apples, it produces peaches, can it be an apple tree? No, it cannot identify as an apple tree if it produces peaches. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Why is that? Because all you're doing is talking. But you're not showing. You've heard me say this before. If you have faith in parachutes, you have no problem jumping out of an airplane. You have faith in gravity you don't jump off the roof but someone will say well you have faith and i have works show me your faith without your works and i will show you my faith by my works you believe that there is one god you do well even the demons believe and tremble so is it believed that there's a god that gets you there no but you do you but do you want to know oh foolish man that faith without works is dead was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of god you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only likewise was not rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also what is he talking about see abraham believed god's word that isaac would have children and he knew That even if he did sacrifice Isaac, God would have to raise him from the dead because God made a promise. So did he hesitate when he went up there? Not at all. He proved what he believed by marching up that mountain without an animal to sacrifice and said, God will provide. He walked up there and did it without ever ever wavering whatsoever. That's how you know you have faith. That's how you know you believe. That's how you know what you trust because you will step out and do it without reservation. If you do not believe, and I'm just using money as an example, that God blesses you when you give and that his hand upon the 90% would be greater than that upon the 10, then you won't tithe. And that's okay, it's your choice. Doesn't make any difference to me. It's up to you. But if you believe that, you won't second guess it at all. You'll just step out and say, you know what, I trust God to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory through his Son. You see, we're born again through him. We are saved through him. Born again and salvation are the exact same thing. Look at this in John chapter 3. I'm almost done. We'll start in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So we don't like the Pharisees. Remember that. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So uh, Nicodemus has has got the, or Jesus got the attention of Nicodemus. How? Through the works that he did. And Jesus' answered, said, And most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the first time we see this statement. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now just so you know, when it talks about being born of water, it's not talking about uh, baptism. The water breaks and then you come. It's talking about being born of the flesh. That doesn't make you right with God. You must be born of the flesh And born of the Spirit. If you're never born of the flesh, you can't be born of the Spirit because you were never here. All right. Anyway, moving on. Jesus answered most to say, unless one is born of water and Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? What did we just learn? Nicodemus was not ready for that answer. This doesn't make sense to him. Why did Jesus scold him? Because he should have been you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things that tells us this was all laid out in advance and he should know jump down to verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but the world through him might be saved why do you make that statement what were they expecting when Jesus arrived he's bringing forth the judgment and setting the nation of Israel free that's not what he did he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God and this is the condemnation that the light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God the light came, what did men like? I'd rather have the darkness. It's your choice. See, God gave a way out. If this life was all there is, and there was nothing else beyond this, then the things we read about God you could call harsh. But the fact that God made a way out, all you need to do is put your faith and your trust in Him, it's not harsh. He's dealing with the temporary to get to the eternal. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Just like the high priest was the mediator between the nation of Israel and God, Jesus became the mediator between God and all mankind who believe in him, who has entered through his flesh, through that veil. The salvation and the grace versus works is a an antithesis of the Mosaic versus the New Covenant. You and I are not in a works-based covenant. There are not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. There is a list of believe in Him. Jesus has done it. We must therefore believe. Now there is the law of Christ. And there are things in there that we have, that you'll have to begin to understand. That there is an expectation. I mean, even the nations were judged that were not underneath the covenant of God because there was an expectation of certain things that they would not do. Killing of their own children, things like that. That they did and God brought judgment. But there is things that we must do, or we do as a result, and those things are not burdensome when your heart belongs to God. You see, when you're focused on Him, everything else becomes secondary. When you're aware of His presence, you don't want anything else. You and I are in a covenant relationship with Jesus because of Jesus, what He did. We can't brag about it. We can't do anything for it. He did it, we simply believe. And as a result of that, it makes all the difference world. You guys see how powerful that is, the difference when you understand grace versus works and what it's really talking about. So we're going to receive communion. And we're going to finish this up here. You see, we're talking about what Jesus has done. And it's important that we, we never lose sight of that, because we take it all for granted. We take everything for granted, we take people for granted, we take time for granted, we take money for granted. In first Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty three it says for I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this is the cup of the covenant of my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes who did he do this for who did the high priest do it for for the nation who did Jesus do this for this is my body broken for you this is my blood shed for you you see, we need to stop taking this stuff for granted and get serious about it. When we become a people, or are more focused on the spiritual and recognizing who we are in Him. That's when the world starts getting turned upside down. It's important that we do natural things like boating and all this other kind of stuff. But we should be far more passionate about the things of God than we are anything on this earth. And yet all's we drive to are the things of this world. So let's pray. Father, we thank You that You sent Your Son die a death that we deserve, to to give us the ability to walk in the fullness of you and this covenant that you have set up. And Lord, I thank you that this is based off of what you did and not what we can do. And so, Lord, we we are so grateful for the grace that you have poured out upon us. And Lord, that we walk in the fullness of the Spirit and who you are and who you created us to be, that we are your imagers on this earth and we represent you in every way. And so, Lord, we, as we partake together, are so grateful for everything that you've done and continue to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Lord, we just, we give you glory. We thank you for your word, that it is true. And we will be diligent stewards of it, of the message that you've given us, Lord. And we'll be stewards with our time, steward with our resources, Lord. And that everything that we do is to bring glory to you. And we never lose sight of what we've been created. And that we are on this earth to serve you in every aspect of it. And not our own heart, and not our own desires, but to serve you, Lord. And so we thank you for all that you've done and continue to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to take about 10-minute break, and then if you guys don't mind sticking around, we'll go through everything. It won't be too long. We'd appreciate it.